At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that raid line! Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year oh no hello everybody welcome back to Rand of troy radio episode 366 coming to you on wednesday april 29th 2020 we're going to talk about the latest in the usc football including looking back at the nfl draft along with the latest news including more covid19 updates and what they mean for USC football. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansign.com. And our phone number is 213-373-1USC. Second Whisperer Show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. It is time for another episode. And I gotta say, I am ready for there to be some, like, finite knowledge about something. The, Spoiler like, alert, there will be no finite knowledge I, about anything. I know, and I'm I'm over it, man. I'm tired of it. I mean... I, I'm at the point in the quarantine where it's like... Just give me the bad news. Even if it's bad news, at least I'll know. I am at the point in quarantine where I've embraced it and I have just accepted that it will continue forever. Like, remember how last season we sort of, your mantra was just be dead inside? Like, I feel like for the quarantine, my mantra is just like, it's never going to end. So then you'll be happy. You'll be pleased. You'll be surprised pleasantly. When it does end, and then you get to go out to be free. But if you just sort of embrace the idea that you're never going to get out of quarantine, we're going to be stuck in 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 our homes for the rest of time, you just sort of go with it. Like, who cares that the fridge is sort of out of things to eat? And who cares if if the TP supply is, is starting to run a, a little bit low and I'm starting to worry just slightly about where I'm going to pr- procure some? Wait, wait. You're not Googling family cloth yet, are you? I am not Googling family cloth. What was the thing the other day, though, that there was a discussion of, like, I would use family cloth before I used X, but I I don't remember what it was. But there are a lot of things that I've personally discovered I would use before family cloth. I I would use family cloth before I'd use those. So I want a sponge. Yeah. Give me family cloth. Over a sponge? Over a sponge. Yes. 
those people out there who don't know what family cloth is, don't look it up. Just, I mean, actually, it's don't. not that bad, but it it sounds way worse than it than it actually is. But yeah, either way. Anyways, uh, yeah, I'm just oh, I'm. I, I shouldn't say this at the beginning of a podcast when, you know, we, we hope that you listen to the whole thing. Uh, and we love you guys. We couldn't do this without your support. Uh, every week listening to us, despite the wild world uh, of no sports that we're in, two, like, it's it's not even two months. It's a month and a half of no sports. It's been forever. It feels like three months. Time has ceased to exist and forever goes in both directions. We have been stuck in quarantine forever. You know, March felt like it took three times as long as a normal month. And, well, then, and you know and what the problem was? April is that... went by really quick until the last couple of weeks. So, like, the weird thing is, is that, like, I felt like I was in... Like, this is... My sister-in-law had a baby, but she had to be in the in the hospital on bed rest because the baby tried to come early. So she was in the hospital from the end of November to basically two weeks before the quarantine hit. And I was talking to her about it and she was like, man, like, I know the quarantine started, but like, I feel like I've been quarantined or house ridden or bedridden or whatever since December, since November, since late November. And like, I'm in a similar boat, obviously not as bad as her, where the circumstances of my life in the month before the quarantine started, I was not leaving the house ever. I was homebound because I was caring for my grandma. So like, I feel like this has literally gone on forever, and like I said, it will continue to go on forever. So, March was a weird month, but so was February. And May. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm. I'm. So was a- April. No, wait, hold on. Are no. we in May yet? No, we're in April. No, Alicia, it's gonna be May. It is gonna be May. You know what May brings? May flowers. May the fourth. What's that? That's what, uh, that's Sunday? I don't even know what day of the week it is. It's Monday. Okay, so now the people are going to think, because we're stalling here, that we have nothing to talk about. There, I assure you, there is USC no, stuff there, to talk there's about. there's really nothing to talk like, about. Like, we that's actually, the spoiler I right have there. a whole rundown here that we put together that we're actually going yeah, to and speak about USC rundown, things. I look at this rundown, I mean, I appreciate you putting together the rundown. I, I, it's awesome that you have. But and I like, look at this and I'm like... Sell the episode to the people, Michael. All of this is just depressing. Sell it to the people. I know. I understand. This episode I, I is going to be great. We've got a great rundown for you guys. Awesome topics to discuss. Everything in USC land is rosy, rosy, rosy. You know, I, I know we're watching Breaking Bad and we're binging that. <laughs> and we're currently, you know, five episodes into season two on your watch. Uh, but I'm, I'm looking at this I'm like... I'm to the point where I can understand why Walt started cooking meth. <laughs> Don't say that too loud, Give Michael. me a Petri dish. I might be there pretty soon. I, I Bunsen mean, burner. Give me the t- Bunsen t- burner. Take up, like, crochet or something crochet. first. No, I'm not going to take up crochets. I need to... I have a crochet project that I really need to finish for my nephew, and I haven't really done it because all I've been doing is watching Breaking Bad. And working and watching Breaking Bad and writing rundowns to this podcast and writing rundowns for this podcast that people people are sitting there going like where's the football and then I will respond like guys it's the middle it's the middle it's the middle of April in the middle of a quarantine like you got to know this is (laughs) this is where we're at the football is not here no it is not here Um, but 
there are other things like uh, Breaking Bad podcasts that we've put together over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Uh, this week's, or this past, last week's quarantine, uh, sorry, Quartime, let's take it inside podcast, our off-topic uh, stay-at-home order podcast, uh, talks about season one of Breaking Bad. You can go listen to that, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy, along with our daily uh, NFL draft updates. Uh, even though a little asterisk there, we were a little bad. Well, no, 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 it wasn't that we were bad. We gave, we, we recorded a, uh, a first round draft update on Thursday, which the people yeah. got. There was things to update. We recorded on. a second day of the draft update, which people got. And it wasn't us. We were ready to record on Saturday. Like there was nothing stopping us from recording, but there was no, I mean, we're going to get into this in the NFL draft section, but like, spoiler alert. Some things didn't happen on Saturday that we kind of expected to happen because no. that's normally how the draft goes. But this was not a normal draft. So, yeah. alas, a well, third day of uh, Slack updates for the draft was d- did not come to fruition because we need something to talk about. I mean, we've how many minutes have we spent talking about absolutely nothing right now? Maybe we should have just... 8 minutes and 15 seconds of this. Yeah, point. so maybe maybe we should have put out a Patreon show that was like 15 minutes of us just rambling about nothing, but we didn't, so... All right, the point is... The people got the Breaking Bad podcast, though. The people this, got the two, the two other podcasts, so... This is true, because we are the one who knocks. Uh, go to patreon.com slash random troy, get all of our bonus content for as little as five fifty five per month. For 10 bucks, you can access our Rot Crew Slack. We can talk about anything with us whenever you want. Uh, we're, we're sharing recipes. We're, we're, we're talking about uh, COVID-19. We're talking about USC football. Uh, we're talking about a million different things over on Slack uh, as the people want it. Uh, and then also, if you want to support the show, you hate ads, but you don't want bonus episodes, you can join the Rot Packers which is $3.33 over on patreon.com slash of Troy, where you get all of our main shows ad-free. And um, that's a pretty good deal, I think. Indeed. I certainly think so. Alrighty. And for, by the way, 555, you get ad-free episodes along with the all-bonus episodes. Even better deal. The best. The best to go with the Bears, who did not draft uh, a, a single Trojan this weekend. Uh, let's get into the news, uh, and then we're going to get into the NFL draft topic, talk and wrap it up after that. We'll be right back. All right, Alicia, let's start with the news. Uh, or our semblance of what is news these days. Over on The Athletic, Stuart Mandel has a post-spring top 25, which is interesting because, I mean, most of these schools didn't even have spring camp. Uh, or some of them had partial spring camps. I think Clemson had nine or ten practices. USC had one. The point is, Alicia, that, that hype train, the hype train we talked about and warned you about months ago, we said people out there, Rotbots, wait for it, because at some point in the spring, in the summer, people start doing their writing, and they will realize, wait, hold on here, SCS 17 returning starters, 
and is breaking in a new defense? That means one thing and one thing only, the hype train. And Alicia, it is at breakneck speed. USC is at number 12 in Stuart Mandel's post-spring top 25. Number 12! Can you imagine if USC had actually had spring camp go on and we had actually had the opportunity to write all the things that we normally write about how great spring camp is and how the mood of their team is different and blah, 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 as always happens in the spring when Bruce Feldman got a chance to come out to spring camp to see what the big hubbub is, when everybody came out to talk to Clay Helton about the, all the, the changes. The next, the next receiver that, that gets a lot of hype before they transfer. Oh, well, or, or getting to see Brew McCoy and Kyle Ford for the first time. There you go. Uh, all of those guys. Can you imagine what the hype would be like if that had all come to pass? I mean, without that coming to pass, it's number 12. Like you, like you summed up perfectly there, we told you this would happen. USC on paper, there is a lot of reason to love them. A lot of reason. Now, there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical. Billion reasons. The offensive line has some huge questions on the huge. on the uh, tackle spots. Big ones. And the defense was bad last year, and Todd Orlando has a mixed bag of, of history. So this is, obviously we don't know how this season is going to go, but if you are evaluating USC going into the season... You see Keaton Slovis, you see Tyler Rons and Amon Ross St. Brown, you see Talano Hafanga, you see Jay Tufele, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, like Drake Jackson, all these guys. There's, you know, p- people are going to like USC a lot coming into this season. Uh, so, I mean, not that, uh, I mean, I, I can make the, the argument 100%. I guess my fear is always the higher I think of USC the further that fall feels like it's going to be. So uh, uh, pessimistic Alicia is sitting here trying to come up with all of the reasons why things are going to go poorly, aside from the fact that, you know, the season, <laughs> we're not even sure it's going to get played yet. So that's that's the, the where we're at there. But, you know, we did tell you so. We did. We, we did indeed a couple of months ago. Uh, other hype for USC uh, revolves around USC prospects. In the 2021 NFL Mock Drafts, uh, the draft, which we're going to talk about in our next segment, uh, was held over the weekend virtually, uh, and that means it is mock draft season for 2021 already, and they already have Trojans in the mix for that, including Jay Tufele, Talanoa Hufanga, and Elijah Vera Tucker. Tufele, the most common across all of, you know, a bunch of them, Uh, and then Dan Brugler from The Athletic has both Hufanga and uh, Elijah Vera Tucker in his uh, first round mock draft as well. I can't speak to how good the rest of Dan uh, Dan Brugler's uh, mock draft is, but I really liked that he was the one who drew in Talanoa Hufanga and Elijah Vera Tucker because to me, that says that he has a real sense of who USC is as opposed to just this really, you know, this 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 DT who has the size and the explosiveness and looks kind of good and could be a first rounder. Like I think it's easy to go with J. Tufele if you're gonna gonna project a USC player in a mock draft in a first round mock. The fact that uh, Brugler brings in Hafanga and AVT tells me he's watched USC because anyone who's watched USC will tell you the two best players on the field for USC on offense and defense. Aside from, you know, wide receivers or whatever, is uh, is Hafanga on defense, absolutely. And it was, if you're looking at the offensive line, AVT was better than Austin Jackson this past year. Now, is he as prototypical um, a, a pro prospect to the point where he'll be able to get picked 
midway through the first round just because he has everything that you want on paper? Maybe not for AVT, but I do think that another big year could put uh, AVT in, in, in a position where people are starting to recognize that he was USC's best offensive lineman in 2019 and will probably be USC's best offensive lineman in 2020. And really, he is the core. Everything that's going to go right on that offensive line is going to start with him, I would say. And everything that goes right on defense is going to start with Talano Hofanga. So I like that those guys are getting at least some recognition in, in these things. Although I said this in our in our Slack in the in the Rock Crew Slack uh, today, you know, low key. I I don't know that I would bank on USC having any first rounders next year, and I think that Ohio State is going to open up a, a wider lead, um, as we're going to talk about later, in the first round uh, picks, specifically because I think Tufele and Hafanga and ABT can all have really good seasons in 2020 and still not end up in that first round for a variety of reasons, which will hinge on. The guys who get the benefit of the doubt on day one tend to be the guys who are from the prime playoff contending programs, um, and and that's not necessarily what USC is going to be. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all comes together 365 days from now, uh, especially since I, I I might bet on individual players for USC to... to to make the first round next year. I don't know that I would bet on them uh, in mass, right? Uh, collectively, just because we haven't really seen it consistently uh, for a long time. I think it's been since, I'm pretty sure the 2011 draft was the last time USC had two first rounders. No, 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 no. It was 2015, right? Leonard and Nelson? Yes. Leonard and Nelson, yeah. Yes. Twenty. The 2012 draft after the 2011 season had... Matt Khalil and Nick Perry, right? Uh, Nick Perry was Nick Perry first rounder, or was he second was he rounder? The year before, he, he was like the twenty eighth pick. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it might have been the year. Before. I don't know. I'm 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 losing my years. The point is, uh, SC has got to get some first rounders going. We're going to talk about that later in the NFL draft talk, uh, and why that matters. Spoiler alert: uh, It's because Ohio State has taken away the all time first rounder record. Uh, let's let's talk about other news. Uh, grad transfer KJ Wilson from Hampton is named a top four. Uh, why does this matter? Because he's a potential plug and play from the FCS. Alicia, explain all this to me. Yeah, so obviously USC is replacing both tackles on the offensive line, and so they're going to try and dip into the transfer portal to find one, just like they did Drew Richmond. And uh, one of the big options is KJ Wilson from Hampton. An FCS program in Virginia. Um, he wasn't rated coming out of high school, but he's 6'6", 299, so he sort of fits the bill physically. I'm just very curious if USC is able to to grab his commitment, if he'll be that plug-and-play guy. Like, I, p- part of me worries that if USC were more confident in the players that they currently have available to them, they wouldn't. This isn't the profile of of grad transfer they would be looking at. Uh, am I wrong there? Like that that's just me reading way too way too far into something that is very uh in what sense explain that a little more. Well, okay. So, if they were confident that they had Jalen McKenzie as their or Jason Rodriguez as their right tackle and that they were certain that they could get the job done or that they have AVT as the left tackle and 
they're okay with Liam Jimmins being a starter or Andrew Voorhees being a starter at guard, then you wouldn't need to go to the FCS to get your linemen. Now, well, I don't know. I, I, th- I completely disagree. I think it's the, uh, the complete opposite way, right? You think so? Where, where they would have to go bigger than the FCS? I think so. If they I, were desperate? I think that, you know, obviously I'm probably reading, reading way, way too into this. Everything we do for the next two sure. months is going to be reading way too much into everything. But so. I, I think it would be more logical that go that you would feel comfortable enough to dip into the FCS. Right? Am I am I nuts? Like like I mean maybe I can see it from both sides. I really can. Because wouldn't you wait for what happened? What if the insta insta transfer rule opens up? What if this happens? What if that happens? And then you would go and wait for somebody over the summer maybe maybe someone who didn't qualify academically or something. I don't know. Uh, th- th- I think there's other avenues than just going after an FCS guy right now. I think that you you go after someone like KJ Wilson, and mind you, I completely don't know enough about this guy. And that well, it's that's hard to me. find any information about him because he's he played in the FCS. Sure, he did start for Hampton this whole past season. Um, he he is a guy who he got offers from West Virginia and Pitt, so Power Five programs are looking at him. Uh, but. There's just not a lot of information about him right. across the board, so it's hard to say. Yeah, I, I'm just saying that I think that, you know, uh, Jalen McKenzie and Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, those guys are not not anything to completely snuff at. Snip? What's the word? What's what's the... Put, turn your nose up? Sure. Sniff at? S- whatever. What a- whatever that <laughs> phrase is, whatever that idiom is. Um, no, I, I think that, I think you go to the FCS because, because you feel like you have the liberty to make that decision. And yes, I know that liberty is not in the FCS. anymore. <laughs> I didn't even get you were trying to make a pun there. I so. wasn't, but I, I was just rolling with it since we're talking about FCS schools from Virginia. The, the point is, I, I think it's an interesting, interesting thing to see if it comes to, uh, fruition. Uh, obviously we don't know how anything is going to work out. Until SC gets on campus and gets into fall camp and sees uh, who can kind of win those battles for those two uh, tackle spots. Um, switching over to the hardwood, Elijah Weaver heading on out. Uh, according to a report, he has uh, entered the transfer portal. He started 14 of the first 15 games last season before Daniel Otome took, uh, took his place as a guard. Yeah, and the report is from The Athletic, from uh, Sam uh, Vicenni. I, I don't know if I say that right, but uh, either way, it's a it's a pretty reliable source, and I think uh, John Rothstein backed it up as well, and I think Ryan Carte actually too. So it's so on one hand, it's a little bit of a surprise, because I, I just didn't see it coming necessarily. It felt like Elijah Weaver was going to get a chance to see a lot of playing time next year. He it, he lost his starting job, but he was still playing. Like, he was still getting 20 minutes a game, so it's not like he was totally riding the bench uh, th- this past year. But, yeah, Daniel Otomi took his place in the starting job, more or less. Um, Ethan Anderson was the, the point guard on the team. And and uh, if, if Elijah Weaver looked at it going into next year, he might have thought, well, Ethan Anderson's the dude at point guard, and USC brought in Noah Bauman last year, and he's been sitting and, and waiting to come in and, and have his eligibility uh, pop up. Not to mention the other transfers that they brought in who will be immediately eligible this year, like Tajetti from from Santa Clara. So 
maybe Elijah Weaver just looked at the writing on the wall and thought, nah, I'm going to go out somewhere else where I can be the star or where I can uh, be higher up on the pecking order than sort of fight it out at USC. It's hard to know with the dynamic at USC. There have been a lot of transfers, though. Um, you know, Jerron Brooks from that same 2018 recruiting class transferred. Kevin Porter Jr. obviously went to the NFL the year before. The you know the NBA, the <laughs> NBA, yeah. Um, but you know that whole recruiting class is no longer uh, at USC. The one from the year before all transferred out as well. So the dynamics are weird when you bring in the transfer portal and you're bringing guys in and sort of. I don't know how much of that is part of a, a transfer decision coming out, seeing all those guys transfer in, it, it, that may be a factor. There could be a thousand other reasons too. So obviously, as always, you wish him the best, but um, it's, a, it's a loss in that now half of USC's lineup is someone you don't necessarily know what to expect from because you've never seen them. Yeah, uh, that's what that's what big, big programs who recruit well you know, that's a hurdle they have to overcome. Uh, USC obviously has a lot of talent coming in uh, with uh, with the Mobley bros uh, being able to play together next season and, and what that becomes for the Trojans. But who knows? There's a lot of a lot of question marks. Uh, only only some of them stem from COVID-19. So let's get into that. Uh, the university, USC, announced that Summer Session 2 will be online only and that's from July 1st through August 11th. Why is this notable? Because fall camp would normally start about the end of July, beginning of August. That could potentially impact uh, USC football, depending on if campus is going to be closed. Will those guys be able to be on campus at the end of July, beginning of August? That's a huge, huge question mark. Uh, I would, I would raise the question that, I don't know that this completely decides that they can't open fall camp until after August 11th, because I, I think there's a lot can change between now and then, but it's certainly not a good sign on the surface for USC football starting on time for now, at least. Yeah, well, USC um, has been along with the Pac-12 in indicating that they won't have players practicing on campus um, unless campuses are, are allowing in-person classes. Um, Ryan Carte made a good point on uh, on Twitter that, you know, even if they were to fudge it and say, okay, we're going to allow some athletes to come on campus, you'd still have to approve an event that includes 100 plus people. We had this discussion when this first started. Football practice has to, at a minimum, involve 100 plus people. So the numbers are still going to be a little bit funky as far as how this is going to work. Um, personally, I wonder if maybe they could do, and this wouldn't be ideal, but maybe you do split practices, offense and defense solo. And that way you can drop your numbers down in total in your gathering, but sort of, and then use like a <laughs> scout team, like get creative with your, how you do things. I don't know. I don't think it would be perfect, but like part of me is thinking that they might still be uncomfortable with that number of people gathering in that space, in close yeah. close contact and all that kind of stuff. But like you said, too, a lot can change in, in the next month, in the next two months, in the next three months. So this this could certainly change. But for we have to work with the data we have now, right? Like right now we're in quarantine. Right now nothing's getting opened up. Uh, the uh, the um, Was it the city of L.A. or the, the state 
release their sort of steps, their stages yeah. for coming, for, for reopening. For four-step plan. Yep. Yeah, the four-step plan. But even that four-step plan, which is a little bit more specific than the previous guidelines of the six guidelines or whatever, it's still ex- extremely vague from a public-facing perspective. We right. still don't know it, what are just, the... It just outlines the order in which things would open. Right. So until we know more about that, I don't think we can even speculate about us as individuals where we're going to be in a month from now. Right. And so speculating out where athletes are going to be be three months from now is even harder to do. So I, I like, but but working with what we work with what we know now, the fact that USC will not have in person person classes until at least after August eleventh doesn't bode well for the idea of fall camp starting at the end of July. Could it still? Maybe, sure. But yeah. what we know now certainly doesn't bo- this certainly doesn't indicate that. Yeah, and you know, I just pulled up the information on the, the four stages. Stage one, essentially what we're in right now, uh, which is focusing on, you know, lowering the curve, making sure that we have enough infrastructure in our healthcare systems and all that kind of stuff. Stage two is you, you open access to lower risk uh, workplaces, so retail stores, um, you know, offices uh, where telecommuting is allowed or not, and social distancing practices are allowed. Uh, and then stage three is where you have things like, um, you know, higher risk opportunities like schooling or uh, sports without fans is in stage three, along with like gyms and barbershops and more intimate workplaces for people, right? Uh, and stage four is the end of the stay-at-home order, which allows people to go and have concerts and sporting events again. So I think stage four is something that that seems months and months and months and months and months away. Stage two, which is the the lower-risk workplaces being opened, that seems like we're potentially a month or two away, given that there's other states that have already moved on to that stage, apparently, right? Uh, Like your Michigans and your Georgias and your whatnot. Texas has opened up a bunch of stuff, too. Uh, So the the way I look at this, we know now that there's there won't be any classes online. I mean, on won't be any classes in person at USC uh, through August 11th. What if they decide in, say... June, July, which is when they would probably have to decide this about USC's fall semester. If they decide then that the that the campus will be open, who's to say that they can't be like, okay, and any any fall semester students who need to arrive early are able to do so, and oh, that includes football players. Like I, I see that there's I see ways out for this. I, I don't want to get too positive, but oh, I I I see ways out too. I just don't know when they're going to be, and I don't know when those answers are going to come. I think USC said that they're going to within the next month uh, or two, they're going to tell us what's going on with the fall semester. So it's a lot of vagaries going on. I think that's that's the biggest problem. So we're all talking in vagaries because no one actually knows. I mean, these stages are nice to have, but you know, what does it, what does it actually mean? What are the triggers? They say that there are triggers in testing and all that kind of stuff that'll move us from one to the next, but those triggers aren't, like I said, public facing. So who the heck knows at this point? Like it's, we're still in a holding pattern. Yeah. Uh, The bottom line is, I can tell you without question. Yeah, go ahead. 
that uh, Pactual Media Day is a no-go. Oh, that's um, a bummer. Yeah, it's a little bit of a bummer. Uh, camps, uh, as far as like recruiting camps and all those kinds of stuff, definitely a no-go. So what we can predict for now... You, 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 want, you want to know my fear, by the way? What's that? Pac-12 Media Day goes virtual. Oh. And then they decide, you know what? We don't need to ever hold this in person ever again. <laughs> hey, they did that Bryce Love virtual interview that everyone loved. Yeah, and that was so cringy that one year, but yep. I, I don't know. Um, anyways, college football is going to be so much difficult to, to get back going. Uh, this isn't the NBA where they can plan to open practice facilities in a week, which seems a little nuts there, too. But um, you can have easier plans. Easier, more accessible plans if you're a pro sports not relying on classes to open because that changes everything. And and that's why college balls kind of going to – college sports in general, I think, are going to be like the last thing to come back. Yeah, and that's, and that's the biggest bummer, right, is that I think we will see sports return before we see college football return. Right. And that's why I'm looking to the NBA. I'm looking to MLB. I'm looking to the NHL. I'm looking to all of these leagues, EPL. Whoever gets going first is going to have a a ton of pressure on them because the worst thing that could happen is somebody starts up and they have to close it back down and then everything else will get delayed exponentially longer. So when we see the NBA open practice facilities and get towards moving towards restarting the season... I will feel a lot more confident about the possibility of of the college football season beginning, maybe a couple weeks delayed, but still beginning in uh, in in September or October. But you know, we're we're I feel feel like we're a ways away from the NBA returning, and whenever the NBA returns, that sort of for me begins the clock for everybody else. One hundred percent. Let's take a quick break, and we'll go on the clock to talk about USC. And the draft clock and what happened over the weekend virtually in the NFL's first ever virtual draft. Be right back. All right, let's get into this NFL draft talk. The Trojans had two picks in the NFL draft, first time since 2002. There were that few, but it was the first time in the history of the NFL common draft era that. There was not a single USC defensive player taken in the NFL draft. Uh, That's no good. That's not a good sign for USC. Uh, Austin Jackson did go in the first round, number 18 overall to the Miami Dolphins. Michael Pittman just missed the first round. And number 34 overall to the second round, Indianapolis Colts. Nobody else drafted, obviously. John Houston signs with the Pittsburgh Steelers as an undrafted free agent, and Drew Richmond and Christian Rector, who we had talked about as guys we didn't expect to get drafted, but guys who could potentially get picked like in the seventh round, right? Wouldn't be a complete shock. Uh, Not only did they not get drafted, as of this recording on Tuesday night, we have no idea where they're going, period. They haven't signed. Yeah, that's the biggest surprise. You know, I thought it was perfectly within reason to expect those three guys to not get drafted. What I honestly didn't expect, and this is why our Patreon show got pushed back and why we were at a loss of what to do on Saturday, 
only John Houston getting picked up as an undrafted free agent is not what I would have predicted in the slightest. Uh, Christian Rector, I would have expected at the very least to get an undrafted free agent contract. Drew Richmond would have easily been in the range of somebody who I would expect to be an undrafted free agent. I mean, we've seen guys like Quentin Powell get workout, get tryouts. Yeah. And like Quentin Powell wasn't a, a, a major contributor, let alone a starter on USC's defense. And yet these two full-time starters for USC don't get undrafted free agent contracts. Like, I just don't know how to process that. I, I don't, I mean, for Christian Rector, there's serious uh, injury concerns, I guess, because he, he missed a lot of time because of injury and didn't have a good season this past year. But like, man, I don't know. I, I just don't even know how to process that whole thing. That, that is completely outside of the realm of, of, of what I would have gleaned to be possible uh, <laughs> sitting here on Tuesday night. Yeah, and you you look at the guys who do get picked. I was, I mean, all things considered, two great spots. I mean, Austin Jackson goes to the Miami Dolphins. Isn't uh, that j- just to butt in here real quick? Isn't it amazing that in this draft, where on the one hand it's awful for USC to only have two guys drafted and see all these guys not only get undrafted but not get contracts as as undrafted free agents, all that kind of stuff. Isn't it funny that on the flip side, on the top end of the draft, both Austin Jackson and Michael Pittman went on the high end of what we expected for them. Normally, when we're looking at the first and second round, like I've watched a lot of drafts where I've been looking for a USC wide receiver to go and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and it's usually get to the middle of the second round and then finally there there they go. Like I don't remember there being a moment where I think Michael Pittman's going to get taken by the Colts on the second pick of of this day too and... Turn on the TV, bam, Michael Pittman taken by the Colts on the second day of the, of the draft. Like, the spot-onness with which both of those, all ahead of the draft, it was Austin Jackson's going to the Dolphins. Austin Jackson's to the Dolphins. Right. The whole way through to the draft, it was Michael Pittman might go in the first round, but the Colts are, are definitely the perfect fit for him. It's weird that that all went to plan and then everything else went not. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, the the Dolphins, I guess it makes, makes sense. Dolphins had, what, three picks in the first round? There was any team who had the luxury to take a flyer on somebody of Austin Jackson's ilk, which is someone who is very prototypical size-wise and, you know, has all the, the nuts and bolts of what you want to see in in your prototypical franchise tackle, right? Even if he hasn't necessarily put it together consistently, he has everything you want to see. He was a five-star for a reason, coming out of uh, of North Central High in Phoenix, right? It's the same thing. If there was any team who was going to do that, it was going to be the, the, the Dolphins who had three picks. Now they, they draft him to protect for Tua Tonga-Veloa, which is kind of funny because if Tua would have gone to USC like he originally dreamed of, Austin Jackson would have been blocking for him at USC. Now he'll be blocking for him down uh, in Miami Gardens. And you, you look at Pittman, and Pittman goes to a team in the Indianapolis Colts that a lot of people had written about pre-draft as a potential fit. I mean, there's like a handful of teams that had multiple people say, this is a good fit stylistically for the type of player he is. It was the Colts, it was the Niners, it was the Ravens, it was the Packers. Like, those are the teams you kept hearing over and over and over again, and it ultimately ended up being the Indianapolis Colts and number 34 even though for a second only he was going to get picked uh, at the end of the first round. 
<laughs> when the Niners moved up, I thought, oop, here comes Pittman, and no, it was Ayuk. And then when the Packers moved up, I thought, oop, here comes Pittman, and then they blew everyone's mind by taking Julian Love. The, uh, not Julian Love, it's um, uh, Jordan. Jordan Love, that's right, Jordan Love. Which was the shock of the draft, I, I gotta say. Like, no one can sort of figure out what's going through the Packers' minds right now. But, uh, yeah, at the very least, it's a good landing spot for Michael Pittman to go to the Colts, where he's going to have Phillip Rivers throwing him passes and where he's going to get to work uh, in, in an offense that has other weapons that he won't have to be the primary guy. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for, for Pittman, although I do think it's worth noting that, you know, Austin Jackson is... Not, I don't want to say he's taken a beating, but when you look at some of the post-draft content that's out there, there are a lot of people who are calling that pick the reach of one of the reaches of the first round. So Austin Jackson's going to have a hell of a lot to prove. And my worry is that the Dolphins are now out there like sources saying, we think he's going to start right away. And you're just going to like, guys, give the kid a chance. Hey, he does have good reach. He's got long arms. <laughs> I, I got to give it to him for that. Oh, yeah. uh, so, lo and behold, USC gets one first-round pick, not two. That's bad news when you look at Ohio State. Both the Trojans and the Buckeyes entered the NFL draft tied with 81 all-time first-round picks. Well, first pick off the board is Joe Burrow, who went to Ohio State but doesn't count as an Ohio State uh, draftee, Notre Dame might oblige to that. I, don't know, I, object, I mean, I mean uh, but we'll get to that later. Uh, so, but the second and third picks, Chase Young and Jeff Okuda both go to Ohio State and get picked by the Redskins and the Lions back to back at two and three, immediately gives Ohio State a two pick advantage in first round picks. That's just three picks in. Uh, that gives them 83 to USC's 81. You get down to the 18th pick, Austin Jackson comes off the board, and all of a sudden, SC pulls within one. And you're looking at it, and you're like, there's no Ohio State guy that's going to be drafted again. And Michael Pittman has a chance. SC can tie this thing up. They can equalize and be tied for another season or another year. No. Uh Uh-uh. Because at 19, the pick after Austin Jackson, who you said is being said as a reach, the Raiders picked an Ohio State corner who is projected to be a third-round draft pick by CBS Sports. Yeah, the Raiders gonna Raider. And yeah, Austin Jackson might be a little bit of a reach, but like maybe the Dolphins shouldn't have taken him at 18th. Maybe they should have gotten their OT. They could have gotten an OT of similar quality in the second round situation. But the Raiders... Taking the, the the cornerback was no one thought that dude was a first round guy. No, no one mentioned him at any point as a first round guy. It was a complete and utter shock. Yeah, and so which Michael is Pittman, on brand for the Raiders. Michael Pittman just misses. It's on brand for Ohio State to, to still get more first rounders. Uh, they get three. USC gets one. So now the Buckeyes have a two pick lead, eighty four to eighty two, which is going to be tough next year when you look at. You know, they're going to have Justin Fields, um, you know, Alave, the receiver. Wyatt Davis might be a first rounder. They got dudes still for next year, and they can add to that lead. SC's really going to need to get uh, Jay Tufele and Talanoa Hufanga and Amonara St. Brown, Elijah Vera Tucker, all those guys uh, potentially in the mix there 
um, if they all collectively forego their senior seasons. Uh, the other record news, Notre Dame claims that they have tied USC for the all-time picks record at 511. Uh, Alicia, tell me about your alma mater and their failure to count. <laughs> Um, yeah, Notre Dame University, not Notre Dame High School, uh, so they're not my own water. But, okay, so going into the draft, uh, there was a lot of uncertainty around how many draft picks USC and Notre Dame had. Um, USC claimed 509, and in their media guide, they listed Notre Dame with 504. That seemed to be the most accurate count I could find. DraftHistory.com, which is... Pretty okay. okay as hold a, on. The most consensus count. The most consensus count, yes. 509 and 504. The the closest thing to an official, actual, like verifiable. Yeah. Yes. Drafthistory.com, which is a really good resource for figuring out draft totals of a lot of different schools. They had USC at 510 and Notre Dame at uh, 505. Now, the problem with drafthistory.com, we know from doing our own research. The 510 figure is wrong. They attribute a South Carolina player to USC. So Ken, USC was- Ken Roski in 1961. Yep. Yes. And Notre Dame, their 505 was miscounted because they double counted a player from the same season, from the same year. Um, it just flat out he was doubled. So they got that wrong. I think they I think they may have included like an AFL thing accidentally. So going in, I still felt confident it's 509 and 504. Um USC has two draft picks. 5-11. Easy money. Notre Dame has six draft picks. 5-10. Easy does it, right? Does that not sound semi-correct? That math sounds correct. I wasn't a math major and I only went to USC, so that it could be wrong, but yeah. So Notre Dame comes out after the draft and they say, we found a player that we didn't previously count and thus our total is now 5-11. And... I'm sitting there going like, uh, uh uh-huh, okay, Notre Dame, because I spent a large chunk, too large a chunk, I might add, of my weekend trying to peel apart the mystery of the Notre Dame draft picks. Now, a year ago, a couple years ago, you had done the, the legwork on USC's, on working out USC's draft count. And you had done so because you were trying to figure out, like, what is the actual number and what can we trust? Because they were approaching 500 at the time. Yes. And, like, who exactly is going to be number 500? I believe it's Stevie T. Yeah. Stevie T is going to So you had done a lot of legwork to try and figure out, so why is this guy counted and not this guy? And sort of unraveling USC stuff. And you had discovered that USC's count is pretty much above board. Um, Some of the draft... There's one guy I think SC counts twice that they should not. Yeah, so Bob Hoffman... Bob Hoffman. In 1939 was mistakenly selected in the NFL draft, but he was ineligible to leave for the pros at that time. So he came back to USC and was drafted again in 1940. Yeah, it'd be akin to the Raiders drafting Trevor Lawrence this year. Yes. And Clemson being like, okay, that counts. Yeah, so Clemson Clemson being, okay, that counts, that when he gets selected again next year and they get two draft picks. Well, spoiler alert, that's literally what Notre Dame has done. Not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five times, not six times, not seven times, eight times. No less than eight times. Damn, LeBron should be a Notre Dame fan. (laughs) So you and I both agree, USC shouldn't count Bob Hoffman twice. It was a mistake. He should not have been drafted. 
Um, he doesn't. He's not a drafted. He he he. USC should claim 510 drafted players, NFL drafted players. Correct. Yeah. Well, Notre Dame, if they want to go by the technical stance of they've had 511 draft picks, I would love for them to give us the list and the dates for all of those players. Not just because they're double counting, which technically I'll give them a couple of those double counts because technically uh, they are draft picks. They are draft selections. So if they want to say they had 500 and some odd draft selections when guys were getting picked in 1946 and 1947 and 1948 and 1949, even though they were going back to play those successive seasons at Notre Dame before getting drafted a second time. Like if they want to claim those draft picks, quote unquote picks, then by all means, Notre Dame, claim those picks. It's it's a load of BS, but claim those picks. I want Notre Dame to release their official count, though, because I genuinely think there is a double counted player that is bull crap to get uh, accounted for Notre Dame. And that guy is George Connor. So, like I mentioned, Notre Dame... Tell us the backstory. I'll give you the backstory. Notre Dame is double counting a series of players, largely from the war t- from around the World War II era. There are some guys who fudge into the 1950s. But in the 1940s, things got weird in college football. Guys left for service academies. Guys left for military service. Guys left for war. And then came back and finished out their college careers, came back and played, had all of these things muddled, right? So for a lot of those guys, for several of those guys that did get double counted, like I said, I'll give them some, I'll I'll back off a little bit because it was, it was interesting. Like, uh, for instance, John Creevy letters in 1942, leaves from the military, is drafted by the Rams and Bears in 1944 and 1945. He returns to play for Notre Dame in 1946 and still the draft picks from 44 and 45 are counted by Notre Dame. So he was a Notre Dame player. He was drafted, even though he went back to school. And, you know, after both of those draft picks, whatever, I can, we can go back and forth on whether or not those should be counted. But at least he was at Notre Dame when he got drafted. At least his nameplate, if they had had them, would have said Notre Dame. George Connor. if, and this is why I want to know, does Notre Dame count George Connor? Because this is ridiculous. George Connor was an All-American in 1944, playing for Holy Cross. He played for Holy Cross and was an All-American in 1944. He leaves for military service and is drafted by the NFL in 1945 and 1946, successively. He finishes his military service and enrolls at Notre Dame in 1946, where he lettered letters in 1946 and 1947— and then leaves for the leaves, uh, graduates college and ends up in the NFL, but signs a contract and, is, and isn't drafted. If Notre Dame is counting those two picks by George Connor when he wasn't enrolled at Notre Dame, when he had played for Holy Cross, like that's some BS. <laughs> and uh, and so the, the the moral of this entire story is a. Notre Dame at 5'11 and USC at 5'11 is all a lie anyways. Don't believe what what anybody's telling you there. Um, But number two, double counting dudes in the 1940s and 1950s because they got drafted and then went back to school and got drafted again is weak sauce. That's all I'm going to say. I think this whole thing is stupid. Like, yes. Well, it's stupid that I care about it, but also stupid. Have more than 500 draft picks. That in of itself, or players who, who got drafted, whatever. That in of itself is a huge 
you know, recruiting chip to hold. Do you think a kid is not going to pick you because one school, your rival, had two more draft picks in 1945? Like, no, like, you're you're both the best schools ever at, at put, turning out NFL t- talent. That alone is, like, good. Like, it doesn't need to get this petty and stupid. But it does. It, it Well, like, <laughs> it, it is, it doesn't need to get this petty and stupid, but the records for the schools certainly matter when they get to tout them, right? Last little anecdote, just because I want to get it out there. Second most egregious uh, draft pick that Notre Dame claims uh, behind George Connor is Bob Livingstone, who was drafted in 1940. Let me see what he was drafted in 1945 after he was enrolled at Notre Dame from 1941 to 1942. He was drafted in 1945, went back to Notre Dame and graduated in 1948. He ends up playing for the Baltimore Colts. He goes through a couple different leagues before he lands in the NFL. Plays for the Baltimore Colts in 1950. In 1951, the Baltimore Court, Baltimore, Baltimore Colts. How are you struggling with Oh this? my gosh. The Colts fold. The, 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 the Colts. <laughs> the, the Colts fold. And every player on the Colts roster gets added to the 1951 NFL draft pool. And thus, when Bob Livingstone is selected again in 1951, he counts as another draft pick for Notre Dame. So again, I present to you, the people, the facts, the idea that Notre Dame is trying to act like they're on the same level as USC with 511 draft picks well, is a load st- of hooey. That one's even stupid because it, it, let's he wasn't uh, a, an Irish. He was a Colt yeah, when he was drafted. But let's imagine that scenario played out today. And like, like we all think, we all agree that the Raiders should just be contracted, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, so let's just say the Raiders are contracted. And David Carr is thrown into the ring, and he gets drafted in the second round by the Packers. Is the his plaque going to say Fresno State? Like the Kion? <laughs> no, it's not going to say Fresno State. <laughs> I mean, Notre Dame would claim. I mean, if if like you said, if Clemson, uh, sorry, if Ohio State judged things like Notre Dame does, they would be claiming Joe Burrow as one of their draft picks. See, yeah. The other thing is, like, if 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 Notre Dame was just consistent. Like, if Notre Dame has a spot where they count Joe Fourier, and they count anyone who who went to Notre Dame and then transferred and then got drafted, okay, that's just Notre Dame being Notre Dame. That's just how they are and whatnot, right? Yeah. But but the, the lack of consistency there is, See, and is, so is funny. I get so worked up about this because I literally wasted hours looking through this crap. I, I mean, again, like, my, my main takeaway is that for the most part, this is very stupid. But speaking of things that, that should be better than they are, uh, and and above that, uh, USC's ability to get players drafted in general, which has kind of fallen on tough times, despite Austin Jackson going number 18 and Michael Pittman going number 34. At least you wrote an article on Android.com where Michael Pittman is the only one of the blue chippers in the 2016 class to be drafted. The only one. Yeah, so this is the emotional whiplash that I go through on draft weekend, where one second I'm screaming into the air, defending USC's honor against Notre Dame, and then turn around and the next second I'm sitting there berating USC for a piss-poor perform- performance in the in the draft uh, because they're not getting anything out of the recruiting classes that they've brought in and they're not developing players in the slightest. Um, 
so that's where we're at in the in the quarantine. But yeah, so I did some research on the four and five star players that USC has recruited over the last few um, draftable recruiting classes, and it is bad. It is very very bad. The the figure that you talked about, the Michael Pittman's the only one of the fourteen five and four star recruits from twenty sixteen. May look a little bit better next year when Tyler Vons has a chance to get drafted, when Vi Malapai has a chance to get drafted, when Connor Murphy, on the off chance that this last season goes really well for him, has a chance to get drafted. But like, even in a best case scenario, you're talking about four out of 14. It's not great. You're probably more likely looking at two out of 14, which is not great. Um, and it And it doesn't get any better when you look further back. You know, 2015 was the best recruiting class for USC uh, in in pretty much a while in this regard. They had seven players of that blue chip uh, spectrum drafted, but they had 18. So not even hitting 50% there. Uh, 2014, two of the nine blue chips got drafted. And those were Adore Jackson and Juju Smith-Schuster, the guys who could have gotten drafted the moment they finished high school, because that's the kind of athletes that they are. Um, they were, they, you know, I don't know that USC had much to do with the development of those guys. They, those guys were going to go to the NFL no matter what. Um, 2013, they had two out of 12 from that class. So I wanted to sort of put it into perspective in the article to try and make sense of, is this normal? And I knew that if I looked at Ohio State, I would just start crying. So I didn't even bother to look at what Ohio State has done with their draft picks. But I decided since I'd spent so much time trashing Notre Dame over their draft pick thing, I decided to look at what did Notre Dame do in the past few years? Because I think it's a fair comparison between the two. Notre Dame doesn't recruit as well as USC, but Notre Dame is obviously a, a program the level of which USC should compare themselves to. And also it's a fair comparison because Notre Dame hasn't been a national title contender over the last couple of years. They've been a successful program, but not one that is outsized dominating like Alabama, Clemson, and, and Ohio State. So... The last two recruiting classes, Notre Dame has had, uh, sorry, the last two draft classes, Notre Dame has had six drafted in each, 2020 and 2019. This is why they've been able to catch up insofar as they have uh, in the total draft numbers. Um, But so I looked at Notre Dame's class of 2016, the same one that uh, we were talking about with Michael Pittman and the like. They had 10 guys in that four and five star range. Four of them have already been drafted and two of them are going to be day one or day two picks next year. So we're talking about a hit rate of 6 of 10, if not 7, if Dalen Hayes gets his act together and gets himself drafted after this past season. So, like, the hit rate is not even close. Not even close to comparable. You expect a couple of four-star guys to fall off. You expect some attrition. But USC has had so much attrition, it is ridiculous. And we've talked in the past about how do we evaluate the transfer stuff and how do we evaluate what's just unluckiness like could you have accounted for osa messina doing what he did and getting in trouble Uh, could you have accounted for jack jones doing what he did and getting in trouble could you have accounted for um you know someone like port augustine having injury problems and not being able to get drafted and like there's a lot of different things could you have accounted for for joseph lewis could you have accounted for uh guys who just flat out didn't didn't make it like maybe you can't all all across the board but Man, USC needs to either do a better job evaluating or a better job developing or a better job of managing their talent so they don't have half of their recruiting class transfer out by the time it's three years gone. Yeah, I, I think that 
I'm 100% with you. I think USC has got to get these guys drafted, even if it's on false reputation. Even if it's because, you know, SC, uh, you know, we saw it with the P. Carroll era where SC players got the benefit of the, de- benefit of the doubt because they were SC guys, right? And, you know, a lot of people say that there's a lot of USC busts, you know, during the P. Carroll era, but so many of that was because their profiles raised because of what USC was able to do on the football field. They were putting and, 10 guys in the draft, you yeah, know, a pop. Yeah, and so SC needs to get back to some sort of level that's that's comparable to that. Um, I do push back on the idea. Uh, you know, I've, I've said it before. I think USC's job is to get players in a position. Well, the, their number one job is to get players who win them games in college football. Number two is to get players who are very good who get drafted. Beyond that, they don't really... It, it, if a player becomes a Hall of Famer in the NFL, great. As long as they get drafted, that's all USC should really care about more more than anything. Because it's not their job to produce a player that is a Hall of Famer in the NFL. It's their job to produce a player that's damn good at the college level. Uh, and usually that means getting drafted in the NFL as a result. So, I, you know, I look at some of these classes and... The, the 2012 class, you, you put together these numbers, two of the 12... Um, the, 23, the 2013 class was two so, of 12. Sorry, the, the 2013 class, two of, of 12. Uh, and then I, I pull up that class. Uh, so you got Kenny Bigelow, who never became of anything USC, transferred, became a good player, did not get drafted uh, last year, right? Did, wasn't he an yeah. undrafted free agent? Uh, Max Brown, five-star guy didn't pan out. Leon McQuay, five-star guy, didn't pan out, but also made the biggest interception in the last, what, 20 years of USC football history? Like, produced as as hell as a senior, had a really good senior season. Ty Isaac didn't produce. Chris Hawkins was a three-year starter, pretty solid. Uh, Steven Mitchell, uh, you know, he was like, what, a, a two, three-year starter when he wasn't hurt? Uh, Justin Davis did everything as advertised. Uh, if anything, any knock on him, it's, it's injuries. Michael Hutchings is now a coach in the program. Uh, made the biggest tackle in the last, you know, 10 years of USC history, right? A big moment uh, in that Rose Bowl. Uh, Khalil Rogers didn't get much out of him. Uh, Quentin Powell, uh, he was a reliable reserve and, and special teams guy, but yeah, they could have gotten more out of him. Nika Fala, they... they, they Got a lot out of as a center. Sewer Cravens, are, you can make the argument that he's up there as the top two or three best players of the decade for USC, right? So it, it's tough because there's so many good players in this list. What, I mean, but there's also I'm, so many players that you wish I'm they would have gotten more. I'm going to push right? back on you, though, because what you are judging to be good players pales in comparison to the good players of 2007 and 2008. Like, sure, for And sure. I know 100%. that maybe that's not fair, but like right. my point is... That Chris Hawkins gets drafted if he plays on a better USC team. 100%. Um, 100%, 100%. Steven Mitchell and Justin Davis and Michael Hutchins and Nico Fala get drafted if they play on better USC teams. So, like, part of it is it's not like you could, if you look at the individuals, you'll find. You'll be able to explain why why all these happen. But I want to look at it from a broader perspective of the rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah, and the other thing is you can you can have a Kenny Bigelow or a Ty Isaac uh that doesn't work out w- despite high expectations 
you can't have like four or five of those guys in the same class. Uh, yeah. And NSC has had a situation where they had four or five of those in the same class, which is really weird because like you look at 2012. The 2012 class, I, I will I will say till I'm blue in the face, might be the most impressive class that USC has put together together ever. And you look at it and you're like, okay, there, there's some good dudes here, but like, how is it that that impressive? And it's because there were only uh, 16 signees, and you know Ryan Dillard's on this. I don't think Ryan Dillard was a scholarship player, right? Mike, Mike uh, no, I don't. He, I do not believe he was. No. So, fifteen dudes in, in this class, and let's just go down the list of those fifteen dudes. This is Lane Kiffin maximizing that talent. Uh, Jabari Ruffin uh, didn't work out. He had injuries and off the field stuff. Okay, that, that's one ding, right? Max Turk, three year starter, started first uh, true freshman in USC history to start at left tackle. Pretty good. Zach Banner, pretty good. Got all American honors. He's on the wall. Uh, big part of that 2016 offensive line. Uh, Jordan Simmons had a million injuries. That's a bummer for him. I. But he's in the NFL. He's, he is in the, the NFL. In, right? That's again. That's the one where you look at if his injury record in college is better, he probably achieves more in college right. because obviously he's a good offensive lineman. Yeah. Jordan Bowman, a multiple year starter at USC. Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick. Um, didn't live up to expectations. That was on him. Though. Yeah. Darius Rogers. Gray-shirted, and then absolutely lived up to expectations. One of the most unsung heroes uh, for USC of the past 20 years, I, I would think, at receiver, even though he did not get drafted. Well, he and he was, wasn't, he was and, and again, he wasn't going to get any faster than he was, and right. that was always going to be his problem, which is also what I'll say for Tyler Vons. Tyler Vons can take the record for USC's all-time receiving and still not get drafted, but that'll be entirely because if he's not fast enough, he's not getting drafted. Like, right. you know? Yeah. So there are explanations for all these things. Yeah, but you, you continue to look at this list, and I'm just going to shuffle around here, but uh, Leonard Williams was on this list, Nelson Aguilar, Chad Wheeler, Morgan Breslin, Kevon Seymour, like all these dudes. And this was a time period when SC could not miss. And their hit rate in the 2012 recruiting class was insane. Insane. Um, yeah, there's, there's your guys in here that didn't do much. Your, your, your Devion Shelton's, your, your Scott Felix's, your Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick's, right? That, that maybe you wish you saw more of, but there's only a handful of those guys. The, the vast majority but of the, those... are the ones that you developed into or either developed or you, you went and found them like Morgan Breslin and Chad Wheeler, who three-star talents who had huge seasons for USC. But those guys so, so, those guys are gone and passed, though, and that recruiting staff is gone and... I mean, the, that's that, what I'm saying, the, though. Coaching the, staff is gone and passed. What, and, I'm, what I'm saying is that like, this is where SC needs to get back to when they're maximizing their talent. And this is also why like, I never bought into the whole like sanctions thing at USC because you look at these classes that Lane Kiffin had and how he was able to maximize his talent despite... Being shorthanded and recruiting, and it's insane. Well, right? but like, so maybe like, like th these are what if these are what Clay Helton's classes look like, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. I guess that's what my conversation. That, that's but, what my and thing is. we're having this conversation because this isn't what USC's classes totally. look like. But that's the that's the thing is that USC needs to do a better job of maximizing these future classes. And part of me wonders, you know, how much was you talk about Lane Kiffin doing such a good job of of 
maximizing what he got. Well, was he just better at evaluating than the last few classes have been? Yeah, because I think that's part of it. Because you look at like, I mean, and, and 2016 is such a weird class because you do get Michael Pittman and he is outstanding and you do get Tyler Rons and he is outstanding and you do get some guys in there that you feel really good about. But like the number of guys that you hit on, that you missed on for a thousand different reasons means that you didn't, A, didn't evaluate talent, B, didn't evaluate personnel, per- personalities, or C, mismanaged all of those players. So you weren't managing your roster. Now, granted, you're dealing with the transfer portal and a whole other new generation of college football. I get that. But at the same time, like, my, I have to posit that for a few years here, USC was winning recruiting battles without actually doing any real serious evaluation to decide who was actually going to fit what they were doing. And maybe that's, if I want to cut Clay Helton some slack, you could argue that the last couple of classes from USC, maybe they're targeting something different. Maybe they're highlighting something different that is separate from, and, and maybe that'll work out. I don't know. It might not work out too, and they might just... Maybe, but but you need one of two things for, for me to, to look back and say that the recruiting panned y- out. You definitely have to develop because you can't rely on the Adore Jacksons and Juju Smith-Schusters that you didn't yes. get to right. get themselves into the NFL. Yeah, I, all I'm saying is you need to either have a bunch of dudes that you're turning into the NFL or a bunch of wins to show for it. If, if you have guys like Darius Rogers. And you have guys like like Morgan Breslin and Chad Wheeler. I I will give you benefits of the doubt, and I will look the other way when the draft numbers are not that high, because you got the maximum out of those dudes in college, and USC is not doing that. In addition to not churning out the draft numbers, so yeah, it, it'd be one thing if you know that that 2016 class didn't produce any draft guys. But they produced wins on the field, and for whatever, they were just gritty tweeners that that just weren't NFL fits. That would you live with that fine? Yeah, you, you shrug. Who cares? That's that's just not where I see is. You got to get one or the other, and ideally both. Well, I would actually say prioritize the first because those tweeners that maybe aren't NFL stock necessarily, if they're winning a lot of games, they will get picked. And I think right. that's my biggest problem with... Goods and, and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you might not have a ton of NFL success, but like you said, it's not USC's responsibility to produce NFL Hall of Famers, even though they have. Um, USC's responsibility is to win games and get guys drafted. And if you, the more games you win, the more likely you are to be drafted, and that's just the fact. Yeah. By the way, I looked it up. Gertiger was undrafted. Ignore me. Oh. <laughs> Ignore me. But you know what I mean. But, but uh, you know, the, even or undrafted or even like I think the biggest red flag of this draft class is not necessarily that there were only two draft picks because there were only five guys that were legitimately like NFL prospects. It's that two of the three potential undrafted free agents are not for undrafted free agents. Like that is the red flag. Like we've seen a lot of guys not get drafted, but. Chad Wheeler didn't get drafted. He was an All-American. Like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully, uh, maybe there's there's a, a good good end of the story. Either the, the, those guys, Drew Richmond and Christian Rector, will find their place uh, on an NFL team or in Canada or otherwise. Or maybe there's a perfectly valid, great opportunity uh, in something other than sports that's even better. So, hopefully... Something we got. We wish them the best of luck. 
Uh, and yeah, she's got a got a big road ahead of him in terms of uh, holding off Notre Dame and getting back and uh, taking that record, first round record from Ohio State. Uh, that's gonna wrap up this episode. Thanks for listening. As always, we still have a mailbag coming up later this week. You guys know how to get in touch with us. Troy at fansider.com is the email address. Phone number 213-373-1USC. You weren't ready for it that time. I, we never say it back at the end. Oh, well, you always get mad at me when I don't get it in the beginning. So. <laughs> fair, fair. Uh, that's fair. All right, let's, <laughs> let's do it again. Our phone number, 213-373-1USC. Suck at what's burn show. Yeah. Uh, you can also tweet us at Reign of Troy uh, for our mailbag. Fill up our mailbag, and we'll give you that at the end of the week. Uh, it's still much more coming your way over on Patreon too. Patreon.com/slash Reign of Troy. We can listen to all of our bonus content for as little as five to five a month. Till then, Alisa, hit us with that final word. The final word is weak sauce, as in Notre Dame is weak sauce for double counting draft picks. All right. You know what another, another weak sauce is? Buffalo. Miracle Whip. That's weak sauce. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, any, any, anything, mayo. anything that's not best foods is not worth putting in your body. Eh, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Like full tilt, but but Miracle Whip is trash. That's absolute weak sauce for my friends. So. Yeah. Until then, though, we will we will see you. See you. See you. See you.